welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 18 of Mad Ship, Wishes Fulfilled. And we start off with Kenneth. He is in his room after his arduous journey back from Keyhole Island. And he's getting served dinner by Wintrow. He's already shooed uh, Etta out of the room because he can't stand anybody doting on him or trying to help him. Or being in distress, specifically, is what he yes. said. But he's also kind of upset with Wintrow because Wintrow won't leave this question alone. What have you done with my father? I beg you, I have to know. What have you done with my father? Kenneth looked at the boy, a sharp reply on the tip of his tongue, and relented. Wintrow's face was as pale as such as a tanned and swarthy lad could be. He stood very straight and still as if composed. The quickness of his breath and his teeth clenched on his lower lip betrayed him. His dark eyes were haunted. He supposed the youngster felt bad, but one had to take responsibility for one's choices. I only did what you asked me to do. Your father is now somewhere else. You don't have to worry about him. You don't have to see him or contend with him. Before Wintrow could ask, Kenneth added, He is safe. When I keep a promise, I don't keep it halfway. Wintrow rocked slightly forward. He looked as if he'd been punched in the belly. I didn't mean it, he said in a hoarse whisper. Not like this, not just vanished away while I slept. Please, sir, bring him back. I'll take care of him and make no complaints. Kenneth, of course, is saying, you know, I can't do that. <laughs> very affably, he's very pleased with himself at this, of his task that he carried out. Yeah, it's... It's really interesting to me because this whole chapter, Kenneth is really pleased with himself. He's in a pretty good mood considering he just murdered somebody. And maybe he, because I guess I don't know. I don't know that he gets pleasure from murdering people, but maybe Saadar was a special case. But it's really interesting to see him interact with Wintrow in this way where he he really has this kind of air about him that seems like he thinks he is this benevolent person and he's being so kind to Wintrow and he just doesn't understand why Wintrow can't own up to his own part in all of this and I think the other part that really intrigues me is Wintrow's reaction in all this I think up until this point it's easy to see Wintrow as kind of falling for Kenneth's wiles, yeah. I guess. He at least plays along. And even in his own thoughts, there aren't that many negatives against Kenneth. Whenever he's thinking about Kenneth, there are some things that he doesn't agree with, but overall it seemed like he was on the pirate's side for the most part. And now here, that seems to have been completely... I don't know if it's not the case or if this instant made him wake up and realize this is a pirate. I don't really know. But whatever it is, Wintrow is not necessarily on the same page anymore. Right. Next time, Kenneth says, be sure you want what you ask for. I went to a great deal of trouble to arrange this for you. It was time to put an end to Wintrow's impertinence because he wants to eat in peace. I had expected you to be grateful, not remorseful. You asked for this. I've granted it. That's all there is to say about it. Pour me some wine. Wintrow moved woodenly to obey him. Then he stepped back from the table and stood as if frozen. Fine, 
cannot put his attention on his food. The exercise has given him a marvelous appetite. So as you mentioned, he is very pleased with himself and happy with this. And he's thinking, yep, I need to do more of this once Etta, of course, has patted my crutch and stump cup. He tried to decide if he could adapt his peg to allow him to climb the rigging again. Even in miserable times, he loved going aloft. But Wintrow interrupts him once again during his meal and won't leave it, leave it be, saying, There was blood all over your coat and the side of the gig. Kenneth sighed, sets the spoon down. The blood was not your father's. If you must know, it was Sa'adar's. Sarcasm, sarcasm crept into his voice. Please don't tell me that you have revised your feelings about him as well. You killed him because I hated him? There was panicky disbelief in Wintrow's voice. Kenneth, of course, is saying, like, no, of course I didn't do that. <laughs> I killed him because it was convenient to me and he wouldn't obey me. Yeah, this is kind of weird. I guess Wintrow really does have main character syndrome. Oh, Wintrow yeah. thinks the whole world revolves around him and everything that is happening is in direct response to his actions and him, which maybe I guess that's part of his belief in Saw that like Saw has a purpose for everyone and does things on purpose, but he really takes that up a notch. And so it's not funny, but it is a little bit funny that in this moment he's like, all of this was because of me and my actions, which none of it is really Wintrow's actions. It's all Kenneth's choices that he's making about what's easiest for him. So whatever Wintrow does, I don't think has any effect on Kenneth's choice making. But Kenneth is kind of trying to put that there of like, well, this is what you wanted. You told me to. Right. Which Take some responsibility and shared action that we committed. Yeah, but it's so weird because I don't see Kenneth as one to blame other his actions on other people. I feel like he's... I don't think he's blaming it. He's just like, don't put everything on me. <laughs> you wanted me to do this, so I did it. I guess. I don't know. It just feels a little weird. Because he doesn't feel guilty for it, so there's no, no blame in Kenneth's eyes. No. I just feel like it's odd to not just be like, yeah, I made this decision. Why not? <laughs> I don't know. Who cares? Because in his mind, he did it for Wintrow. Yeah, I suppose. But yeah, Wintrow is not doing well with all of this. And he moves on. And ankle? He dared to ask in a sickened voice. Kenneth slammed his glass to the table. Wine leaped out and soiled the white cloth. Ankle is fine. They are all fine. Sadar is the only one I killed, and I only killed him because I had to. I saved you the trouble of having to do it later for yourself. Do I look so foolish as to waste my time on unnecessary actions? I will not sit here and be badgered by a ship's boy. Clean up this mess, pour me fresh wine, and then leave. The look Kenneth gave him had cowed many a larger man. To the pirate's surprise, it suddenly kindled an answering spark in the boy's eyes. Wintrow straightened himself. Kenneth sensed he had pushed the boy across some sort of boundary. Interesting. Wintrow advanced to the table and removed the food and the soiled cloth with a silent, savage efficiency. He restored it, carefully poured more wine, then spoke. He dared to let his anger sound in his voice. Do not ever lay your deeds at my door. I do not kill people who inconvenience me. Sa gives life, and every life he forms has a meaning and a purpose. 
No man has the ability to understand fully Saw's purpose. Rather, I must learn to tolerate those others until they have lived to fulfill Saw's purpose. I am a part of his intention for this world, but my part is no more important than anyone else's. Which is him convincing himself he doesn't have main character syndrome, right? Right, yeah. (laughs) I'm just but a part of Saw's many faces. But also, everything happens to me specifically because Saw wants me specifically to get a message. (laughs) It's about me. I'm not any more important than anybody else, but also, everything does happen because of me. (laughs) Kenneth sighs and he's just like, that's because you're not destined to be king. Right. I do want to stop here for a second. So this is a really good look at what the belief of Saw is, I think. And we haven't really had that for a while, although we always get hints every now and then with Wintrow's chapters. I think this is a really succinct way to talk about how the believers of Saw believe that everybody has a part to play. Right. And I know we've talked about about this before, but I feel like this points towards Saw potentially being an actual person who was a white back in the day. And I just feel like that because it's saying Saw has a purpose for everyone and and the whites do see that everybody has a role to play and everybody can affect the future. There's not one singular person who is more important than the others. Obviously catalysts exist to nudge the path in a new direction. So maybe they're a little bit more important, but overall any decision made by even the smallest, most unimportant person can change the trajectory of the future for everyone around them. And so, I don't know, I just thought that was maybe another hint that Saw is an old white. Yeah, like you mentioned, we had um, visited that or talked about that theory before. And I think one of the, if it was true, one of the things that we said was was that the many faces of Saw were different whites. So it was just kind of like a collection of this is the whites' beliefs or that group of whites. And every time that a different person would visit, it'd be like, oh, it's another person of saw and that became you know the many faces of saw as well as the fact that whites change color as they set things on the correct path so that also changes their face (laughs) but anyway just a little tinfoil hat theory i'm sneaking in there that you're bringing back up (laughs) make sure it stays in there (laughs) well there's another point towards it so so a thought can uh, occurs to kenneth and he says Meditate on this, priest. Perhaps I am one of those you must learn to tolerate until I can fulfill Saw's purpose. When the glower on Wintrow's face only darkened at this jest, Kenneth laughed aloud. He shook his head. You take yourself so seriously. Run along now. Go talk to the ship. I think you'll find her course aligns closer with mine than yours just now. I mean it. Run along. Send Etta to me on your way. He was getting too fond of Wintrow and allowing him too many liberties, as he shakes his head. If Opal had taken that tone with him, he'd have worn stripes before sunset. He shrugged at his own leniency. That had always been one of his faults. He was too kind-hearted for his own good. He shook his head and to himself and let his wan- thoughts wander back to Key Island. <laughs> 
Oh, so funny. It, yeah, that is a very funny line because Kenneth is definitely not too kind-hearted. Too kind-hearted. Yeah. <laughs> but what is with, okay, is am I missing something? Why is he in such a good mood? Because of all last chapter. You think that being successful, successfully getting rid of Sadar and Kenneth, or sorry, and Kyle, and then also knowing that he's placed more people with his mom made him that happy? No, it was what he was talking about throughout that whole chapter and a little bit of this one too, of that he finally got out, did something for himself. Mm. And he proved to himself that he could still sway people with his words. I see. Yeah, so yeah. he's still King Kennet on the way. He's not a broken man. That's fair, I suppose. He just seems too happy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he does have a sp soft spot for Wintrow. That's true. But also I do want to talk about why does Wintrow have the courage to be angry in this moment, to visibly and physically show Kennet that he is angry with him, talk down to Kennet and, you know, lecture by lecturing him and just like, what, where is he getting this bravery? I think it's because of what Kennet mentions and he pushes him over a boundary, right? And it's implying that Wintrow would one, kill Sa'adar later. So Kennet did him a favor anyways. Mm -hmm. And two, that he wanted it to happen or his hatred wanted, meant that Wintrow wanted to kill him eventually. Mm. And that goes against everything that Wintrow stands for, as he lectures about later. So I think that's just, it just pushed him over the, the attack on his faith, pushed him over the line. Hmm. But he also is being kind of awfully brave for somebody who thinks that Kenneth just murdered his dad in the beginning before that line is pushed. He's at, continuously asking questions even though Kenneth is well, getting frustrated. Obviously, Wintrow's words have sway with Kenneth. Wintrow knows that because Kenneth just told him that it's because of you that I did this. So mm. he has a close relationship with him. Why, why not talk? I guess it just feels it feels weird to me. I don't know. Something when, has, when has Wintrow ever shut up? Well, <laughs> he always talked. He <laughs> talked back to his father. He talked back to Vivacia. He talked back to Torg. You're right. I guess it just feels weird that he like. Maybe it's because we're seeing it from Kenneth's point of view and not Wintrow's point of view. But Kenneth is just painting this picture of Wintrow being this scaredy cat little crybaby who is barely hanging on and barely showing a brave face to ask questions. But yet he still is. And he still he thinks that his dad just got murdered. And instead of being like, oh, my gosh, this pirate could kill me, too. Well, because it's it's not actually what Kenneth. What Kenneth thinks Winter is feeling is not actually what he's feeling. Because remember, we know inside Winter's head he has that guilty conscience, that struggle with, like, am I morally making correct decisions? Whatever. All that sort of stuff. He right. debates with himself all the time, which is what he's going through in this conversation. It's not, I'm terrified of this man. It's, did my actions bring about the deaths of five people? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense, I suppose. And then when Kenneth just says, like, yep, it is your fault, he's like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> don't lay that at me. It's your choice. Yeah. Well, 
I think it's interesting that you said that the line that got pushed is the fact that Kenneth accused him of being the reason Sadar got murdered. I thought the line that was pushed is that Kenneth treated Wintrow the same way Wintrow's dad treats him, which is to basically tell him to shut up. I know better. Do this. Serve me, boy. Oh, maybe. Yeah. So I thought that was the line that got pushed. I didn't even connect the fact that he was, it could be because of the blame he's laying at Wintrow's feet. Yeah, it could definitely be that. Well, we follow Wintrow and he is listening to Kenneth and taking it up with Vivacia. He's very upset with her, saying, why didn't you wake me? Right. He does acknowledge that a lot of this anger is stemming from the fact that he is mad at Kenneth, but can't do anything. Yeah, yeah, do anything about that. So he's a little bit taking it out on Vivacia, but he's also disappointed in Vivacia and the way that their relationship is developing. Yes. He kind of is suspicious that she didn't wake him up because Kenneth told him so, and she's kind of admitting that too just like yeah so what is it to you if i listen to him yeah their relationship is getting worse every time we see it Mm -hmm. and i'm not really sure what the driving force of that is because from what i can tell i mean obviously there's a lot of unspoken hurt there that they neither of them have addressed but wintro is trying to reach out to vivacia and have this link for the most part it seems like whenever we're in his head but the more Wintro tries the more Vivacia pushes him away which is a little confusing to me I mean maybe because she was hurt and she's afraid if she accepts it then he'll push away I don't know I'm not gonna pretend like I know I'm sure one of our listeners will write it and tell us well I think it's because of what I've mentioned before and how this is her personal decision Right. And she reiterates that too. Did he tell you not to wake me? And if he did, what difference would it make? It was still my decision. She's all caught up in like, this is what I choose. And you were forced on me. And yes, we have to stay together. And yes, we're bonded. But so what? I also choose Kenneth. Can't you accept that of me? And Wintrow is still suspicious of Kenneth, of course, (laughs) as he should be. And Vivacia is just naively kind of diving headfirst into it, and she's offended that Wintrow can't accept that. Like, why can't you like my new boyfriend? Yeah, it's so, like, Vivacia really wants to have her cake and eat it, too. She, in this, I guess we're not reading it from her point of view, so we're not getting her detailed thoughts, but she is so... Like, yeah, so what? My boyfriend told me to do it and I went along with it. I chose to do that. And it's reading very trying to pretend she had a choice, but really it doesn't seem she like she did. She did have a choice. I mean, yes, there are. She just listens to Kenneth more than she cares about Wintrow right now. Yeah, but like, I don't know. It's hard. I, I have this weird thing where I feel like. Is it really a choice if you're just doing everything one person tells you to do? I mean, yes, you're choosing to listen to them, but if you're not even questioning or weighing the options, you just blindly obey them. Is that still... I, f- I feel like she weighed the options. Like when when Kenneth said, don't wake him up. You know, I, I felt like she did. Mm-hmm. Kenneth is very persuasive. He's like, yeah, he's had a long day. He's sleeping hard, whatever. And you know me, I'm not going to hurt these people. So 
you want to, you can, but like do him a favor and don't wake him up. I think she did think about it. Mm, okay. I think he's just very persuasive. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. This just reads like Vivacia, the wintro parts of the Vestrits have rubbed off on Vivacia and she is not capable of accepting the consequences of her actions. That's fair. I I feel like that's what I'm getting a lot out of here, which is frustrating. So maybe it's not even that it's that I disagree that she's making choices because it's all the vestrus. She yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. She is making choices, but she just pretends as though because she made the choice, that means that nobody should be mad at the outcome and right. that there, it, there could not possibly be a bad outcome. That's not on her. Yeah. And then she keeps calling Wintrow throughout this childish and, saying that he's being petty, but she's worse. At least he's trying, he's talking, he's telling her his feelings, he's communicating, and she's just shutting him down and telling him no, and then getting offended that he is I mean, assuming... They both are being childish, to be No, fair. they are. I'm yeah. not saying Wintrow's being, like, super mature in this situation, but considering how much she's like, mm, you're being immature... She's just as bad. Right. At least he's trying. <laughs> the depth of his hurt surprised him. Once you would have been more loyal to me, you would have wakened me whether you thought it was wise or not. You must have known I would have wanted that. Vivacia turned her head and looked out across the water. I fail to see your point. You even sound like him, Wintra said miserably. His unhappiness spurred her more than his anger had. What do you want me to say? That I am sorry Kyle Haven is gone? I am not. I am glad that he is gone, Wintrow. Glad, and you should be glad also. He was. That was the rub. Once she would have known that, but now she was so taken with the pirate she considered only Kenneth's view. Do you need me anymore? He asked her abruptly. What? It was her turn to be shocked. Why ask such a thing? Of course I need. Because I thought you, if you were happy with Kenneth, perhaps he'd let me go. Both of you could just put me ashore on the mainland. I could make my way back to the monastery in my life. I could put all this behind me as something I couldn't change anyway. He paused. You'd be rid of me also, as just as you are rid of my father. You sound like a jealous child, she retorted. You haven't answered my question. In that moment, she did. She opened herself to him, and he felt her pain at his hard words. Oh, Wintrow said softly. That was all. So yeah, she is hurt by his words, but she doesn't show that ever and just is like, why would you ever think that I would want you to leave? Because I said, I'm glad your father is gone and you're childish and... And I refuse to talk to you or take your thoughts into yeah. consideration And or, I fail to see your point when you said that used to be more loyal to me, like so. <laughs> so what that I don't care about your feelings at all as topmost priority? Why would that mean that I don't want you here? Why would me ignoring you 24-7 and refusing to let you be part of our connection or even talk to you mean that I don't want you here? That's so weird that you feel that way. Like, okay, gaslighter. <laughs> but Wintrow also just, but what if I just abandon you again? <laughs> Literally, which, yeah, like, I think... I think Wintrow in his head is like, well, maybe this would be better for you because that's clearly what you want. But he doesn't realize that that's actually like traumatic. Yes. <laughs> traumatic TM. <laughs> so like, yeah, low blow. But I don't think it was intended on his part, which doesn't matter. You still, if you hurt somebody's feelings, you hurt mm -hmm. their feelings. But overall, just a strange, I don't know, <laughs> childishness going on between the two of them. 
Winter says then that Vivacia cuts to the heart of the squabble. Why are you jealous that I care for Kennet? You would do away with the bond you and I share if you could. He is the opposite. He strives so earnestly to build a tie between us. He speaks to me as no one else ever has. He comes up here while you are off and about your tasks and tells me stories. Not just tales from his life, but folk tales, and stories he has heard from other people. And he listens to me when I speak. He asks me what I think and what I would like to do. He tells me his plans for his kingdom and the people he will rule. When I make a suggestion, he is pleased. Have you any idea how nice that is, to have someone tell you things and listen in return to what you say? I do. It put him in mind of his monastery, but he did not say the words aloud. He did not need to. I do not know why you will not give him a chance, she suddenly burst out. I cannot claim to know him as I know you. However, this we both have seen. He harbors more affection and goodwill toward you than your father ever did. He thinks of others. Ask him sometime to show you the plans he has drawn for Divitown. He has given it great thought how he will build a tower to warn them of danger and where he will put the wells to have cleaner water. A skew, too. He has drawn a chart of a skew with a breakwater to improve the harbor and docks drawn in. If only they would listen to him and live their lives as he directed, things would be so much better for them. He wants to make things tidy and better. Moreover, he wants to be your friend, Wintrow. Perhaps what he did to Kyle was high-handed, but you did request it. He could have gained the goodwill of the slaves by turning Kyle over to them. His torture and death would have been a spectacle for Divitown that would have brought Kennet great renown. Surely you must have known that. Alternatively, he could have ransomed him back to your mother, beggaring the Vestrid family in the process of enriching his own coffers. He did neither of those things. Instead, he simply set that nasty, small-hearted man aside in a place where he cannot hurt you or others. Wintrow felt overwhelmed by what she had said. He had not known Kennet dreamed such dreams. Her reasoning seemed valid, but her defense of the pirates still stung him. That is why he is a pirate, I suppose? To do good? The ship was insulted. I do not pretend he is selfless, nor that his methods are above reproach. Yes, he savors power and longs for more of it. When he gains it, he does good with it. He frees slaves. Would you prefer he stood and spouted platitudes about the brotherhood of man? What is all your longing to return to your monastery but a desire to retreat from what is wrong in the world? So, we have... Kenneth's wooing of Vivacia here. The and brainwashing of Vivacia. Kind of. Yeah. As I said, he's very persuasive, but he's also treating her like a person. Yeah. Doing something that Wintrow was not really doing for a while. Because Wintrow was centered on himself the whole time. And we've talked about that too. He was just very selfish in his relationship. Right. When they first met. And... By the time that he said, like, oh, I do need to connect with her is a little too late. And yes, she's childish for shutting him out now. But this is someone she chose who is treating her like a person. You know, I kind of feel like that's not fair because Wintrow still talked to her and listened to her point of view and told her stories of his monastery and what he believed and wanted for the world. All the things Kenneth is doing. All the while holding back a connection. Sure. And also contemplating whether she was evil or not. I mean, whatever. He's also 12. Like, 
which you would think this like 80 year old boat would understand a little bit of like she's like a baby i know she is also a newborn but anyway Kenneth, his stuff is all about him like all of his i mean not not the stories he's telling her some of them are stuff that he's heard he's just telling her stories but like all of his plans benefit him and it's all about his dreams and he knows best. And he, but he asked he, her what she wanted to do too. Apparently she said that in there that Kenneth would tell her folk tales. He'd ask what she wanted to do and she would, um, then he would tell her about his plans too. So there was a give and take there a bit. Now that's not saying that he agreed to do the things that she wanted. He asks what she thinks and what I would like to do. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So treating her a little bit more openly than Wintrow ever has, and that seduces her to his side. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It just, there are differences. I'm not going to pretend like there aren't, and I don't want it to seem like that's what I believe. But they are very similar, and... It's a little frustrating that, like, because Kenneth's dreams are of the high sea <laughs> and not of, well, but even is that what he wants? He wants to build a kingdom. Who's to say that means that he would still sail after he has a castle? You know what I mean? But at least to Vivacia, I'm sure he's saying that he'll always be a pirate and sailing the seas with her if she'd have him. Um <laughs> I don't know. I just, I feel as though Wintrow also did a lot of those things. And like you said, he was holding back. So maybe that's the the heart of it. But he still does. He still tries to talk to Vivation. She shuts him out now. Yeah. Now and, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like it's a little late for that. Yeah. A year past the first meeting and then also abandoned her and came back and was forced to be with her because he was a slave. Yeah. So kind of feelings hurt in that situation. Kenneth has, hasn't abandoned her yet. That's fair. And as we heard from a listener last time, he sings her praises quite like a dragon singer. That's true. That's a good point. I just, I was just trying to point out that I don't think it's fair to pretend as though Wintrow didn't do most of that too. He did some. He I did won't some. say most. <laughs> I, I feel like a good portion. I think a good portion was him asking about memories like the good portion that was not him telling about like oh the monastery was amazing Mm -hmm. i wish i could go back there and leave you alone and why would i ever be on a sailboat (laughs) was him just asking after like memories and stuff like that and what is it like to be alive and to feel things but never about who she is you know that's fair it's just like Oh, you're so quirky and weird. What are the weird things that you can do? How are you different from me? And not, what do you want (laughs) in life, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's fair. That's fair enough. I I think it just comes down to Wintrow othered her and Kenneth wants a partnership. Yeah, I... Yeah. And I think I'm just frustrated because I, it works so well Yeah, and continues to work even after Kenneth's death. It it bothers me to no end that Vivacia is so swayed that she later gives up Althea even. Yeah. Be- especially because Althea 
wants Vivacia, but I guess she ended up abandoning her too in some way, which I don't know. I feel like Vivacia is just inherently so selfish, which is probably due to the fact that she spent so much time with Wintrow, who is also pretty inherently selfish. <laughs> Although, like, but I feel like this is a very bash Wintrow episode, but I love Wintrow. I think he's a good person overall. He just is selfish. And that is very clearly rubbing off on Vivacia and only made worse by her somewhat bond to Kenneth, who is another selfish person. Right. And it bothers me that Vivacia thinks she's in the right. And I don't know. I mean, she does. She does kind of nail Wintrow of what is the want of going back to your monastery than running away from the wrongs of the world? Oh, like, no. that's that's big. <laughs> completely snaps. Yeah, totally true. And a good point. And I feel like Vivacia is really good at cutting to the heart of what what Wintrow is too afraid to put into words mm-hmm. and doing it really well. However, I just don't love that it's only ever used to cut him down. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And a lot of it is the defense of Kenneth is like, oh, it's he does so, such wonderful things. And yeah, sure, he's a little power hungry, but he frees slaves. So it, all good. It's so weird. I think that too. It just weirds me out that she's so like, he's the best person in the whole wide world. And anytime anything that comes up that would maybe make me think that might not be true, I just pretend like it doesn't exist and it's fine. Also, you asked for Kyle to leave, you know? I'm glad he's gone and yeah, sure, maybe yeah. Kenneth overstepped, but you asked for it. So. Yeah, also, uh, excuse me, Vivacia, <laughs> you asked for it? No. <laughs> Who is this? Kind of falls in line with her other thoughts in the third book. So Yeah, well, I don't know. It just is like weird. She's just so like, yeah. feels like deprogrammed. <laughs> She's part dragon. I don't know. She only goes after power, really. I guess. But that's, and that's her thing, too, is like, yeah, so what? He wants power. I mean, who doesn't? Like, <laughs> okay. The winter, of course, is very astounded at this treatment from Vivacia and her speech. And a moment later, she confesses, he has asked me to pirate with him. Did you know that? No, but I expected it. Well, what would be so wrong with it, she demanded defensively. You see the good he does. I know his ways are harsh. He has admitted that to me himself. He has asked me if I would be able to cope with what I must witness. I have told him honestly of that horrid night when the slaves rose. Do you know what he said? No. What did he say? Wintrow struggled to master his emotions. She was so gullible, so naive. Didn't she see how the pirate was playing her? I said that it was like cutting off his leg. He had suffered a long misery, thinking it might get better if he did nothing. You made him see he had to endure a far greater pain before his anguish could be over. He believed in you, and you were right. He asked me to recall all that I had shared of the slave's torment, and then to consider that in other ships that torment continued. It is not piracy, but surgery he performs. So Kenneth plans to only attack slaver ships after this and those who profit from slavery. We cannot seize every slave ship between Jamalia and Chalced. Whoever of Kenneth's just wrath is felt by all those who traffic with slavery, and not just those who run slave ships, soon all will be forced to think about what they do. Those merchants who are honest and good will turn against the slavers when they see what they have brought down on them. So she's really trying to convince Wintrow, even, 
of like his just wrath and even says later can it can it champions a holy cause wintro you of all people should see that we cannot be turned aside by the prospect of pain or risk if we do not persevere in this endeavor who will so she plans to agree to pirate with him yeah it's like Wintro says, she's very naive and gullible. Yeah. Which and you can see that with like, yes, Kenneth is very persuasive and he lies so well, so, so well and plays his part so well because we know he doesn't care about slavery at all. He doesn't no. care. And he's just playing up this holy crusade against slavers to Vivacia. And of course, it won't all be slavers because that's unrealistic to only go after slavers if that was the holy mission that he was on unrealistic he has to also pirate because well yeah because if it was just slavers the merchants could ignore that then right but if he goes after the merchants and they know it's because of the slavers then they'll all have to rethink clearly and obviously if they stop a ship and it has no ties to slavery they'll let it go on its way or not because they already (laughs) stopped it but really is that Kenneth's fault? Everybody makes mistakes. Well, they're He's only all human. complicit. They're all from Jamalia, you know. Oh, exactly. So it's so dumb. <laughs> and like her defensive, it feels like a teenager who's dating that person who they the absolutely should not. Yeah. The like 14 <laughs> year old who's dating the 28 year old melta and rain <laughs> and you tell them, hey, you tell the teenager like, hey, this isn't safe or normal or a good idea and they're like you don't understand it's not a phase and then they dig their heels in more like it just she doesn't know any better and it's frustrating because she had to deal with kyle and wintro as her first captain and bonded person but i don't know maybe if Althea would have been on board. It would be different. She wouldn't have been swayed so easily. She'd understand. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. No matter what, though, it's just she is very clearly trying to convince herself there are no red flags and that everything is fine as long as Kenneth says so. And it's really bothering her that Wintro isn't just agreeing and that he is kind of putting up resistance to these ideas. And I think that's partially because she probably also knows that this is a bad decision and she's maybe deep, wrong. deep down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Definitely deep down. But I think that's part of why she gets so upset that winter doesn't just agree and go along with it. But she's also very resolute in it. She's, she gives that argument, that side to it. And like, yeah, you, even you have to agree that he's doing a great thing, but she doesn't try further. At least we switch perspectives so we don't get any more discussion between them. Right. But I don't think Wintro pushes back so she doesn't continue. Right. I don't know. I mean, ultimately, Wintro also falls for Kennet, so whatever. <laughs> like, he's also Team Kennet by right. the end, so I don't know. More on Team Etta. Yeah. At the very end, but yes. Yeah, I don't know. For most of it. It just, which like, how, how does he ever get swayed by Kenneth when he is seeing what's happening to Vivacia? And he's like, man. And also he he does miracles later. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. He has miracles. (sighs) (laughs) 
Well, anyway. Kenneth's a holy man. Remember then that that line that Kenneth says, maybe you have to just tolerate me until I do Saz's part or whatever. And he sees right. these things. He's like, oh, my gosh, Saz speaking through <laughs> Kenneth. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't know. It just uh, I don't like not liking Vivacia. Oh, I, I don't like her. <laughs> yeah, I but I liked her so much at the beginning and I still like her a bit. It just this Anytime she gets fanatical about Kenneth and is mean to Wintrow, I hate it because it's so weird. It's weird behavior mostly because she's really mean to Wintrow all the time and then is shock Pikachu faced that he thinks she doesn't like him. Right. And she's like, why don't you love me more and just give me praises and treat me better after I am horrible to you 24 seven? I don't understand an abusive re- relationship neither of them can escape yes and they're both the abusers at certain points it's horrible yeah. anyway yeah well we switch over to althea's point of view we got a few point of views in this chapter yeah last chapter i guess was a unique one we were in kennett's the whole time but we're mm-hmm. back to switching and it is the night of the traitor council one that has been anticipated for a few chapters here that they've been building up. The Taniras approached to speak about the tax, the tariffs, right. and all of that sort of stuff. So the Trader Council was called together, and the Vestrits want to speak out on Vivacious behalf as well. Mm-hmm. So Althea has had a very busy day. She's kind of excited. She's gotten dressed into her demure trader's gown and she's looking like a proper trader's daughter and she is kind of looking in the mirror and wondering where that ship's boy went from the reaper because that seemed so long ago and things have just changed so much and she looks so different now after spending some time at home she had to admit she was not displeased with the change The plainly cut trader's robe was not especially flattering to her, just as well, she told herself as she turned slowly before the glass. She did not want to be seen as an ornamental female tonight, but as a sober and industrious trader's daughter. She wanted her words to be taken seriously. Nonetheless, she paused to add a bit of scent to her throat and a touch of color to her lips. Garnet earrings, a recent gift from Grag, swung from her ears. They went well with magenta robe. And she describes her very busy day. She had gone personally to petition the Bingtown Council. They had said only that they would consider it. They did not have to hear her. Kefria was the traitor of the family, of course, not Althea. And she had stiffly told her sister that she too would speak tonight if the opportunity presented itself. Althea had composed a note to let Greg know of the taking of the Vivacia, sent Rage off to deliver it, and then she had gone to Devad Restarts, both to give Devad the news about the piracy and to ask the traitor if he would give them a ride to the council. Devad had been properly horrified, but also reluctant to believe anything that Trell rascal said. He assured her that if the story proved true, he would stand by them in their trouble. Althea noticed that the offer had not extended to his wallet. She knew Devad better than to expect financial assistance from him. His affection and his money were kept well separated. What is the point of being friends with Devad? Like, what is the benefit? Tradition. But I like, guess. even then, the Vestrits are way too stubborn in this, and I hate it. Like every point, it's like, yeah, Devon actually is a really bad person and isn't even a very good friend. Like, 
oh, it, it drives me crazy. I think the biggest thing that makes me mad, especially after this line, is just it makes me think back to the fact that he came when he knew the Rainwilders were coming to with the courting stuff for Malta so that he could get a chance to line his pockets and begged Ronica to allow this to happen for his wealth. But then when they need his wealth or they need help at lining their pockets, so to speak, nah, <laughs> thoughts and prayers, T's and P's, baby. <laughs> Hope it gets better. <laughs> ah, he's so horrible. He's the worst. I hate him. But she's, when she goes back from Devad's house, she helps Rach with a bunch of chores as well. And yet all her frantic activity had not been enough to keep Brash and Trell from intruding on her thoughts. So she is thinking through this, all this, all this, and being like, there's so much to do. Why am I thinking about Brashen? I could even be thinking about Greg. But no, Brashen's always there on the edge of my thoughts, always kind of peeking in. Always thinking about how hot he looked while he was there last, but then tries to remember her, remember that she shouldn't think about the way his hair got in front of his eyes, the way he leaned over or nodded while holding a cup. She should think about the fact that he kept checking his pockets for Sindin. <laughs> the man was a victim of his own bad decisions. Let him go. It's... It's very funny. It, it is just funny. Consistent. Yes. That's what it is. <laughs> I was telling Luke off the podcast <laughs> earlier today, this chapter, next chapter, for a little bit, the next couple chapters, I guess, probably, for a little bit, Althea is so annoying and I like Althea and I've been liking her more. I know like first start of the book, I was like, mm, actually, she's kind of not that likable and she grew back on me. Now is the point the whole time that she's angry and defensive about her like of Brashen, very unlikable to me. I hate it. I like I get it. I get the reason. I understand that it's part of her character. Annoying. Don't like it. <laughs> not not fond of the choice. <laughs> So Althea is ready. She wants to get there early as possible to the Trader Council, goes down and is surprised to see Malta already waiting as well. She ran a critical eye over her niece, but found nothing to correct. She had expected Malta to overindulge in paint, scent, and jewelry, but she looked almost as sedate as Althea did. The flowers in her hair were her only ornamentation. Yet even simply attired in her Trader robe, the young girl was breathtaking. Althea looked at her and could not fault the young men who admired her. She was growing up. Over the past day and a half, she had shown far more maturity than Althea had thought she possessed. It was a shame that it had taken a family crisis to bring it out in her. She tried to push her nervousness aside and reassure her niece. You look very nice, Malta. Thank you, the girl replied distractedly. She turned to Althea with a frown. I wish we weren't riding to the meeting with Devadra's start. I don't think it looks good. I agree with you. Althea was surprised that Malta had even considered it. Althea herself was fond of Devad, as one is fond of an eccentric and occasionally boorish uncle. For that reason, she struggled to ignore the wrong-headedness of his current politics. She agreed with her mother. Devad Restart had been a friend of the family too long to let a political disagreement come between them. Althea just hoped her association with him would not weaken her presentation to the council. She must seem wholehearted and righteous in her support of the Tanira family. It would be humiliating beyond repair if she was regarded as a silly woman who would take sides based on the opinion of the man closest to her. She wanted to be heard as Althea Vestret, not as a girl infatuated with Greg Tanira. I highlighted the Devad Restart bit because 
I think it's funny that Althea's ascribing more astuteness to Malta than I think is there. Yes, agreed. I think I think Malta has the capability to think of the political angles of it, mm-hmm. but I think she's just thinking of the optics. Yeah. Of he's awful. I don't even know if it's that. I really think it's because Devad his stuff is in disrepair all the time. It's True. not as nice as it could be. I agree. I think she has the capability of seeing the political sides of things and would be capable of thinking on that if it suited her interests. But I think in this case, it is purely optics. Like you said, I think the fact that her saying, I don't think it looks good is literally what she means. Not that I don't think it looks good if we're supporting one side and Devad is supporting the other, but we're riding together. No, (laughs) I don't think it looks good if we're in a carriage that's falling apart. Like (laughs) literally just that. Also, there's the added fact that Malta still hates Devad because of the whole him ruining her debut as a woman thing, which Althea has no idea about, Mm. I'm sure. Or maybe they vaguely told her whatever. Doesn't matter. Yeah. And she follows it up with, does a carriage and a team truly cost that much? There is the whole summer season of balls, teas and parties ahead of us. We cannot always be depending on Devad. Think how that looks to the other trader families. Althea tries to reach out, saying, There is the old carriage. If you are willing to help me, we could clean and oil it. It's very dusty, but sound. Then we could look into hiring a team and a driver. She crossed the room to peer out the window. Then she turned and grinned wickedly at Malta over her shoulder. Or I could manage the reins myself. When I was your age, Hakes, our coachman, used to let me drive occasionally. Father didn't mind, but Mother never approved. Her niece gave her a cool look. That, I think, would be more humiliating than riding in Restart's rattle trap. Althea shrugged and looked out the window again. Every time she thought she had established some sort of link with Malta, the girl would rebuff her. And again, it's... It's because Malta thinks she's, one, stealing the ship. Right. (laughs) Hates her father and is stealing the fortune away because all of the women are greedy and overstepping. Mm Mm-hmm. But then also, she doesn't act like a proper woman in Malta's eyes, so why would Malta want to be friends with Althea? (laughs) Right. Like, even if we take take away the whole part where Kyle and Althea hate each other, Althea isn't a proper woman. Malta's not going to be friends with that. Even though Althea is everything Malta says she wants to be, Malta can't... Just on the other side of their interests yeah malta cannot recognize that though like i don't think she cognitively is put together that the things that she wants looks like althea in her mind it's different and dignified and her father will approve of it because it isn't althea but it is exactly althea like that's malta's goal she just doesn't understand that You, you always say this and i i agree with you But it's not exactly Althea in my mind, because what Malta wants fits way closer inside of their society norms than what Althea wants. Does it? Yeah, because Malta still wants to go to the parties, the balls. She still wants to act and dress like a woman. She doesn't want to do the work. All she really wants to do is be in charge of herself for a while until she decides she wants to settle down. Right. She also wants to travel. Yeah, she's she's mentioned that like once. And I, yeah, she can do that if she has 
in charge of herself, but like Althea wants to be the captain of a ship and trade. That's very far outside of what the norm is for Bingtown right now. So while I agree with you that they do want independence, they do want to govern themselves to how they want their life, Malta's vision fits a little bit more inside of Bingtown's vision. That's fair, but I still think it's pushing the boundaries. The fact that she as a yeah, woman I, I would have any... disagree with Yeah, that. but I'm, I'm just saying that the... I think the society that they're in, radical is radical is radical. You know what I mean? Like... A woman having yeah, rights is the same as a woman being able to be capable of doing being on a ship and choosing her own future is all really Althea wants. Just because they have different wants and ideas of what that future should be doesn't mean the goal, the end goal is not the same. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, too. Yeah, I just think that. I just think that Malta's future would be more accepted and Malta is a part of that society still and views Althea as the outlier and doesn't see her future falling that too far outside of a future in Bingtown as a normal woman. So okay. that's why Malta can't reach out and see that I guess. Althea is after the same thing that she is. Yeah, I guess you're right. But also... Why does Althea keep thinking that she and Malta are cool? Like, at what point in this whole exchange did it feel like, yeah, Malta's a person I could joke around with. Has Malta ever been jokey around Althea? It seems like anytime Malta's around, she's very severe and cold and trying to pretend she's much more mature than she actually is. So, <laughs> Well, she says every time she thought she had established, established some sort of link with Malta, the girl would rebuff her. So with that opening of a conversation they don't really talk ever right so with a conversation that they have she throws out a joke that they can like laugh with and like yeah maybe we can connect over something and Malt's like mm, no i just i think my point is when has that ever been malta's personality why wouldn't you try literally any other method than making a weird joke about you not fitting into society when you know that's not going to go over well with your niece like, she could just be normal and be like, yeah, let's work on this together. We could probably figure something out. I feel like that would have gone over way better and would have opened that bridge a little bit more than maybe I'm a little freak that doesn't follow, <laughs> doesn't follow society norms. And I'm fine driving a carriage. Elfie is not a freak. But. So Ronica and Kefria enter the room just as Devad's carriage pulls into the drive. And Althea says, let's not wait. Let's just go out there and meet him. Because if he gets in here, he'll want tea and cakes and all that sort and of wine. stuff and wine. So we'll never get there in time. Ronica agrees, although Kefria's like, come on, we got to be polite. Yeah. yeah. So they pull into the carriage and start off. Devad announces that he's brought them a little treat. It's a little box full of sweets that they used to like when they were kids, Althea and Kefria. He passes them around and Althea gingerly takes one and Kefria makes brief eye contact with her sister as she was handed the box. The look they exchanged was one of fond tolerance for Devad. Devad himself beamed satisfaction at them. Well, don't you all look beautiful. I shall be the envy of every man at the trader's meeting, arriving with a carriage full of such loveliness. I shall have to lay about me with a stick just to drive the young men back from the door. 
Althea and Kefria smiled dutifully to the extravagant compliment, as they had smiled to his compliments since they were children. Malta looked affronted, while Mother commented, Devad, you are always full of such flattery. Do you think we believe you after all these years? She frowned and added, Althea, would you straighten Devad's scarf for him? The knot has worked around to under his ear. Althea saw her mother's true concern. There was a blotch of gravy or some such predominantly displayed on that fine yellow silk. <laughs> so she reties it to hide that. Yeah. I mean, you could just say, oh, you got something on your shirt there. <laughs> I feel like if you're That's friends, too polite, Veronica. I guess, yeah. Or too blunt, Veronica, I should say. Not polite enough or circumspect enough. I guess. Althea smiles back at uh, Devad after he says, thank you, my dear, and glances at Malta to find her staring in distaste. Althea quirks one eyebrow at her young niece, asking her for understanding. She could understand Malta's avid dislike of Devad. When Althea stopped and considered Devad's recent actions, she knew the same disgust. He had stooped to the low practices of the new traders and then surpassed them by aiding them against his own class. Ignoring the censure of the other traders, he always spoke out for them at the trader meetings now. He had acted as go-between for many of the more desperate Bingtown trader families and the new traders avid to buy their ancestral lands. Rumors said that he bargained keenly to get the best terms, not for the trader involved, but for the newcomers. It was hard for her to believe half of what she had heard gossiped about Devad. She was forced to accept that he not only used slaves on his property now, he trafficked in them. That was bad enough, but by far the worst rumor she had heard was that he was somehow involved in the efforts of new traders to buy the Paragon. Malta is so chill with slavery, and yeah. Althea does know this. So the fact that she's like, yeah, I get Malta's dislike of this dude. It's definitely because of his stance on slavery. What? <laughs> no, it's not, Althea. Come on. I don't know. Whatever. It's that vestrate on that Vestrit main character syndrome that's very heavy on this episode or this chapter. And she's thinking, what point would her loyalty be strained to the breaking? Would they reach that point tonight? So this is a little foreshadowing here, but uh, Althea in general is constantly thinking about, yes, this man is a family friend for a long time, thought fondly of him for a while. We tolerate him in a familial sense. He's kind of like an uncle but he's an awful person politically. Will that harm me? <laughs> Maybe. Also, like, you're right, Althea. At what point does your friendship break? Because... It's not tonight for some reason. <laughs> Literally, I do not understand her deal. Like, Ronica, I get in some ways. Not, I don't, I don't understand, but I get Ronica's want to stay friends with Devad way more then I understand Althea's adamance in sticking up for Devad and staying near him. I don't get it. It just feels so against her character. And maybe because it's somebody that's older than her that she grew up with, it's a, an adult, even though she's now an adult too. Maybe that's part of it. But she's so quick to stand up to anybody else that goes against her morals and what she thinks is right that it's weird that she hasn't even once said anything to Devot. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, to distract herself from all of that thought, she tries to make conversation with him and asks for his most interesting story, the most interesting rumor he's heard today. She knows it won't be 
too salacious because he's a very straight-laced man. And he starts in on a rumor that there is not a messenger from the satrap coming back with answers about their charter that they brought over to Jamalia, but it's the satrap himself coming to Bingtown. First off, he kind of explains this in a roundabout way and talks about the Cooper's family. Indulge me, Malta. I know their boy's enamored of you, but this is politics I'm talking, not romance. The Cooper's family came to Bingtown on behalf of the Rainwild traders to stir up trouble between us and the satrap. I tried to talk sense to them, but you recall what a mob scene that meeting was, Ronica. So throughout all of this story, he's just sprinkling obvious signs of what he thinks and his bias. It's, it is a kind of interesting thing to have here, which is the other side's point of view, because Mm -hmm. I think every point of view character we have, at least in Bingtown currently is a person who is against what the satrap is doing or at the, at the least thinks that what's happening right now is bad. And so we have that point of view, even Malta's point of view is skewed towards this is weird, but clearly something's wrong. I guess she kind of doesn't care about politics, whatever. It doesn't matter. Having Somebody who cares about the politics, but is also on the opposite side of our main characters is really nice to have because then we can see what they're fighting for and why they might believe in it just as much as our characters believe in their stance. Yeah. The problem is that Devad follows the money and isn't passionate in his side, really. He's convinced himself and he is very diehard for the satrap side he's just not passionate politically (laughs) for his side i don't think it just is the side that's going to make him money for sure but i think knowing that that's probably how the new traders are talking about it is important how could they believe such antiquated agreements meaning the original charter could be forced to apply to our modern age nevertheless the bingtown trader delegation went and they were received courteously okay well if the charter doesn't need to stand because it's so old then why are they still giving 50 percent of their tariffs to like it doesn't work both ways either it's too old to be counted or it's not pick one devad can't hear you (laughs) (laughs) well that's true even if he could even if he could i'm a woman so what do i know (laughs) haha silly little girl devad doesn't seem like that though doesn't he? No, I don't think so. He gives equal thought or I guess an equal place in the conversation for all of the Vestrit women. And he really relied on his wife, Doral. And he doesn't seem, he. I mean, he's a go-between for the new traders and stuff, but I don't think he's necessarily misogynistic in his ways besides being just the traditional man in Bingtown, which is misogynistic society in general. Right. But he's not like Kyle. I don't know. I mean, he respects Ronica's point of view for sure, mm-hmm. who is a woman. But I don't necessarily see that in the case of Malta, Kefria, or well, Malta's Althea. understandable. I mean, yeah, she's a child. But like... Even Althea and Kefria, I don't see that same sort of respect at what they want in their words and their thoughts 
you know? When I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. When would Devad had ever had the opportunity to discuss that with them? Althea doesn't go to Bingtown Council <laughs> meetings at yeah. all. This is the first one she's been to in a long time. And Kefria had no interest in anything trader for a long time either. Actively avoided that stuff. Right. And I think he just sees them as the two little nieces that he watched grow up, right? He brought them right. candy. Right. Their favorites from when they were kids. So I think this is just a familial kind of bond here that juvenilizes them rather than you're a woman, your opinion doesn't matter. You know what okay. I mean? It's just like that. Maybe it's a small distinction, but I think that's the distinction. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I guess I don't really have proof either yeah. way. I mean, I guess I don't really either, but <laughs> besides the way that he respects Ronica. Yeah. And it, he does respect Ronica. I'm, I don't know. I don't know. But also I feel like Ronica is kind of a special case because she was doing a non-typical yeah maybe role. yeah true i don't know i don't know i mean i guess later in this chapter devad listens to althea so well devad drops that bomb that the set trap is coming to bingtown and of course there is a hubbub <laughs> yes he does say that it is said that he will travel in disguise the satrap with only a few choice companions of his heart but well escorted by his Chalcedian honor guards. Here's the real question. Is that rumor put in place so that a Chalcedian can get away with pretending to be the satrap? Was he never supposed to get off the boat anyway? You know, I don't know. I really don't know. It'd be interesting. I just asked that because I was thinking about it and he is killed later the satrap right mm -mm. no oh. he survives to the end dang okay never mind <laughs> he he gets off the boat just fine uh he stays with devad and eventually cirilla arranges his kidnapping mm -hmm. and that event kills devad and kiki and malta and the satrap escape to the rain wilds that's right okay and eventually the satrap is with malta and is kidnapped by Kennet somehow. They like go out to see. I don't remember yeah. the exact details. But then there's like a big meeting where the Chalcedians are chasing the satrap because they need the satrap to kind of like sign Bingtown over to them. He's like their power. Why do they care? Well, I mean, like <laughs> yeah, they're trying yeah. to get stuff and he's their pawn basically, right? right? Um, and eventually they figure out that no, they're trying to kill the satrap so they can get him out of the way because the people back in Jamalia also wanted him dead, all the other nobles. Right. So Kenneth is kind of keeping him prisoner, but also keeping him alive because Kenneth needs the satrap to sign off on the Pirate Isles kingdom. Yeah. Okay. To, to establish the rules because it's ceding land. So there's a whole kind of back and forth there, and Malta negotiates all of that right. for the satrap. So he survives to the end because the satrap signs off and he gets reinstated back in Jamalia. Fair enough. Well, then I wonder if the plan was for the satrap never to really be in Bingtown and then they'd have more control and be able to pretend like they're him. 
Yeah. I mean, Cirilla even thinks that, right? In the last chapter we were with her, mm-hmm. they could just sail by Vingtown and we couldn't stop them. Right. But, I mean, the plan is to go to Chelsea after Bingtown anyways. So yeah. why, do, why do the Chelsidians even need to care if they're just going to go to their country afterwards? Yeah, I don't know. Well, Ronica says the satrap here? He'd have to be out of his mind. Althea didn't realize she'd spoken those words aloud until the Vod turned to stare at her. I mean, such a long and hazardous journey to undertake so impulsively. <laughs> nice save. <laughs> like, not even a little bit better. <laughs> so, Althea, of course, is all mulling over that news and is very surprised that the satrap would come here when everyone, and especially with what she's going to say tonight, is just like, right. people aren't very happy with him right now. <laughs> so they arrive at the trader hall and they disembark. Right. Well, that's a good place as any to stop. It's a longer chapter this week, or at least a longer discussion that we're having. So we'll break this into two and finish up the rest of the trader meeting next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you have thoughts or questions or theories or things you want to revisit and talk to us about, please let us know. Email us. We're at isfitshappy at gmail.com, or you can message us or comment on any of our posts on any of our social medias. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, YouTube, we're all at IsFitsHappy on all of those. Thank you so much for tuning in. 